Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is Now What? Now, here's Bill Almack. Have you ever survived a really long power outage? I mean, not like a couple hours because, you know, somebody hit a pole or something. I mean, days. Right? Pastor Kerry recently mentioned in his message about the windstorm a few years back, and they were without power for six days. I don't ever remember being that long, but you know, I grew up in the east and the midwest. We'd have snow and ice storms, and power would go out for a couple days. But we didn't have Wi-Fi back then, so we didn't miss it when the power went out. Um, we only got two channels on the TV, so didn't really miss that either. Right? So really not a whole lot changed when the power went out, except we got to use candles instead of lights. Um, but, you know, so imagine what a world-changing event it would be if the electricity went out and never came back on. Right? How different would our lives be? Right? That's a world-changing event. Now, we supposedly just celebrated a world-changing event, right? Jesus' birth, Christmas, supposed to be a world-changing event. And we probably all did lots of things. We, you know, we got Christmas cards. We sent Christmas cards. We went to Christmas parties with friends and family. We opened Christmas gifts. We gave gifts. We probably ate too many Christmas cookies. But was it a worldwide, world-changing event? It should be, right? Jesus came to change the world, but yet it kind of seems like the world remains unchanged. So to kind of talk about that, you know, we, we kind of get to the end of Christmas and we get all done and we say, now what? Right? Or my favorite question, so what? What difference does it make? Right? What difference does it make? And so, if we want to talk about a world-changing event, we've got to understand what a world-changing event is. Because when we say that, we kind of all think the same thing, right? Like Pearl Harbor, world-changing event. Draws America into the war and eventually a nuclear bomb. That's a world-changing event. Maybe World War One or World War Two, world-changing event. Maybe 9-11... It's a world-changing event. But is it really? It changed all our worlds because we got introduced to the joys and wonders of TSA. Right? If you've flown recently, you know how aggravating that can be. But I bet you there's some dude that lives in South America or China or Siberia or the Australian outback whose world was not changed really by 9-11. Yeah, they knew about it. They saw it on the news. But their day-to-day life remains unchanged. And so when we talk about a world-changing event, we're better off to talk about our personal world. The one that we can kind of draw a circle around us and say, this is my world. Because we all do that. And we all kind of have a world where we 
set the thermostat of what changes come into that world and what we allow in the world and what we don't allow in the world. And in our little world, we are God. Small g. Right? We control this world. Right? And people can live in the same household and have really different worlds. The teenage daughter that goes to high school faces an entirely different world than the husband and father who goes to his workplace. And they live in the same house. And technology has given us a lot to control our world, right? Because I can watch the news, and if I don't like what they're saying, I change the channel and watch the food channel. Or I can be reading my Facebook feed, and if I don't like what somebody says, I can block them or unfriend them. And I control what comes in to my world. And especially as Americans, we kind of think that this little personal world we have is, is an extent of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And my world. Right? And so when we talk about a world-changing event, we got to change all those little individual worlds because we all got our world. And we got to change all those worlds. And sometimes that's kind of hard to do. But I want to talk today about a guy whose world was rocked on that day. Open with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. It's a story we're very familiar of. We've been talking about it. And this is Herod, right? Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Right? We know the story. The wise men come. Herod acts like he wants to worship the new Messiah. Tells the wise men to go find him. The wise men go off, find the baby. They're warned in a dream by an angel, and they go home a different way. And Herod is furious and uh, orders the slaughter of the innocents. He kills all the babies, right? And when we kind of look at that, and you read that story, you go, that's just crazy. Who would do that? Herod would. See, we actually know quite a bit about Herod um, through the Bible and through other uh, archaeological sources. And Herod was crazy. He really was. He killed some of his own family members because they were a threat to his personal world. See, remember, Rome overruns Israel and Judea and needs to put kings up. But they don't want to put a Jewish king in because that's too easy to overthrow Rome, right? So they pick somebody who's not Jewish. Furthermore, Herod's not even royalty. You know how Herod gets picked? Same way we pick people now. Daddy has money. And Herod gets to be king in Judah. And Herod is intensely aware that he does not deserve to be king. And he needs to protect his world just as strongly as he can vigorously as he can and these magi come and that rocks his world 
That changes everything. And this part of the Bible kind of reminds us that there are people in the world who hate the idea that Jesus Christ is King, and they are not. And through all of Christianity, there have been Herods in the world. We still got them. And they don't like the idea that Jesus is King, and they are not. And sometimes they act violent, um, hostile. um, But really, that's not most people. There there are those people, but that's not most people. And today I want to talk about most people. The guy in the next cube at work. The girl that cuts your hair. The cashier at the grocery store that you say hi to. The mechanic that works on your car. Your child's teacher. Right? These people that we rub elbows with every day in our lives, most of them are not like Herod. They're not angry about it. For most people, I dare say, the birth and ministry and life and death of Jesus means nothing. It's a boring piece of trivia from the most boring, dusty, boring history book. Right? And they're not mad about it. They're not angry about it. It just, it's the way of the unmoved and unaffected. Just like on the night Jesus was born. And most people slept through it and were completely unaware. Right? And when I say most people, that's going to include Christians. Uh, We have to be careful. Because we live in a society with a lot of Christian churches. There's like 80 some churches here in Downey. Right? We say all those people went to church and they celebrated Christianity. But I bet you that there are some Christians, and maybe even some here today, that. We celebrated Christmas, but we kind of wonder, what difference did it make? And that kind of eats at us a little bit. Because we think, this this should have made a difference in my life, but everything seems the same. Why, Why does it matter? What difference does it make? Most of us, if we're honest, are more affected by the price of gasoline than we are by the birth of Jesus. What can we do about that? Well, there's a couple things. Two, two quick ideas that we can do about that. Number one is you got to reach outside your safe zone. See, here in America, we live in a Christian ghetto, if you want to. Right? And all my friends are Christian. I come to church on weekends and hang out with Christians. And I, I venture outside my ghetto to go to work. And then I dive back into my Christian ghetto and go to Bible study. It's like i got to wash the sin off me. Right? And we listen to Christian music, and we wear Christian t-shirts, and we have Christian bumper stickers, and sometimes they even make Christian movies, and we all go to the Christian movies. 
right? And we live in this Christian ghetto. And none of those things are bad, right? None of those things are evil. But sometimes you got to reach outside that safe zone. If you want to make a difference for Jesus in the world, you got to go into the world. you got to get out of the ghetto. Okay? Now I speak with some authority on this because I grew up in Christian ghettos. Right? My dad worked at Christian schools. And all the staff members were Christian. And all my friends went to Christian school. And I know what it's like to live in a Christian ghetto. And then one day you graduate college and you go to work. And oh my goodness, it's a really different world out there. (laughs) Nobody told me that. So you got to reach outside your safe zone. The other thing you got to do is expect to be misunderstood. When you're going to reach outside your safe zone and you're going to go into a world that doesn't understand Jesus, you're going to be misunderstood. It's going to happen. Right? Especially in today's society. We have to talk about old people and young people. I'm going to let you divide yourself into whether you're old or young. Because you know. You know. If you have white hair, you're not young. Okay? (laughs) And dye doesn't count. The young people live in a different world than we grew up in. It's really different. Have you ever heard the term post-Christian society? We live in a post-Christian society. You know what that means? <laughs> it's not just after Christ, but at some point in our past, especially here in the West, Christianity was very prominent in the world, right? It affected work. It affected our lives. Nearly everybody went to church, was a member of a church. Um, and Christianity ruled kind of in our society right the the rules we made were based on judeo-christian values right that's not so true anymore and so it's a post-christian world christianity doesn't hold the spot of prominence that it used to have but us old folks we got our little world and we don't let that change in. See? And we think everybody still thinks Christianity's it, right? Because we haven't let that change into our world. The young folks don't live in that world, have never lived in that world, don't understand that world. The world they've grown up in is not a Christian world. And we talked about the high school senior or the high school daughter that went to high school. Her world is radically different than her father's. And chances are her father doesn't even understand how radically different it is. Because they grew up in a completely different society with different values. And it's hard for us not-so-young folks to deal with that because we haven't let that change into our personal world. Oh, we know about it, right? When we hear about Christians being persecuted somewhere far away, we kind of all nod our heads go, oh yeah, the Bible says that'll happen. 
but somehow it's far away and distant. And it doesn't happen here, right? But our young folks have grown up in this different world, this post-Christian world. And it's, it's, it's affected things. And let me give you an example. In the United Kingdom, right, our forefathers, so to speak, right now church attendance in the United Kingdom is less than 2% of the population and quickly headed to 1%. Church attendance has dropped every single year since World War II. Now, we're not quite as bad here, but we're quickly headed the same direction. And I've heard people say, well, like 40% of Americans are Christians and we've got the Bible Belt. I want to ask you a question. How many of you here believe that at your workplace, the folks you work with, that 40% of them are in church this weekend? How many of you believe that 40% of the students at USC or UCLA are in church this weekend? I'd be surprised if it's 4%. How many of you believe that 40% of the people in Downey or Bellflower or Pico Rivera or La Mirada or wherever you live went to church this weekend? Maybe in the most Christian church or Christian village in, in the middle of the Bible Belt, I don't even know where this place is, on Easter, we'd get close to 40%. Maybe. There's no way that 40% of us go to church. Barna did a study about how many people go to church, and the thing they found out is that we lie about how much we go to church. Something ironic about that, right? We think we go to church a lot more than we do. Okay? And we can't understand what it means to celebrate Christmas and Christianity until we understand that we live in a post-Christian world where most people don't feel the same way we do. Okay? So we've got to understand that before we can go on. Now, I want you to open your Bible with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, in my opinion, and you can feel free to disagree with me because we live in America, is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. This has some amazing stuff. And I don't know how you'd pick the most important one, but John chapter 1 is right up there at the top. So we're going to look at a couple of verses here out of John chapter 1. We're going to start with John chapter 1. We're going to do verse 5, and then we're going to jump to 9 through 11. So it's the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Down to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Okay? Now, that verse 5 there, we underlined the word overcome, and we got that little footnote there. Okay? In my Bible, when I look down, it says, or understood. Now that reads completely different. 
Because sometimes when I think about light and darkness being in this epic battle, right? Star Wars, and we got the Force, and the good side, and the evil side. They're in this epic battle, right? And somehow darkness does not overcome. Light wins, and the audience cheers. But you could read that to say, the light shone in the darkness, and the darkness didn't understand it. They weren't angry like Herod. They were not fighting and and violent opposition. They didn't understand it. See, and Jesus came to the world because through Him the world was made. He was part of the Godhead that created the world. Through Him the world was made. And when He came, we didn't understand Him. And we didn't recognize Him. Now that paints a whole different picture. That paints a whole different picture. See, we didn't understand it. And John, the Apostle John who wrote this, realized that Jesus' life might be nothing more than a blip in history if he didn't write some of this down. And so he he points to John the Baptist. Uh, If we go back to verses 6 through 8 in in John 1, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. Right? Now, don't let that word witness get you because... Witnessing in the Christian church, you know, we all freak out. We don't want to do that. That's, that's too scary. Okay. But he's not talking about standing up in front. He's not talking about wearing, you know, Jesus saves on your t-shirt. Not of the world on the back of your truck. Okay. Those things aren't sins, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about moving through life. And leaving an unmistakable trail that points to Jesus. Okay? That's what the word witness would have meant to them. Now, it's important here when we see this because... Now, we're going to come back to it. Let's go on. Stay in John 1, but look at Luke chapter 2. But keep your fingers in John 1 because we're coming back. Luke chapter 2 This is where the angels talk to the shepherds, right? And they say, the baby's been born in Bethlehem, where you are. Not somewhere far away, it's right where you are. Go down and see him. So when they had seen him, being the baby, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Now there's one thing to point to here. Who are the shepherds pointing to or witnessing about? Jesus, the baby, right? They're not going, ha, 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 the angels came to talk to us and not you. Which would have been tempting because as shepherds, you were low man on the totem pole. And if somebody said you were important, I might be tempted to go, angels came to me. But no. Even the angels aren't a part of it. It's the baby, The Messiah is here, right? And this is important because what John the Baptist said was he pointed to Jesus. He was not the light. 
He was a witness to the light. And this is fundamental. Because when we go out and we talk to people about our church, it's not about the church and how amazing it is. Although we're a pretty amazing church. And it's not about how great we are. Well, we're pretty great. And it's not about our wonderful pastor, although he's pretty wonderful. It's about Jesus. And we should always be pointing to Jesus. And anytime we start feeling like it's talking about us and it's our message, then it's, we're, we've gotten mixed up a little bit. It's not about us. We should have a life that reorients so that everything points to Jesus. And when we move through life and we brush elbows with our child's teacher and the girl that cuts our hair and the lady at the grocery store and whoever all these people are, wouldn't it be nice if they talked about us as Christians? See, because sometimes we can have a change in our life and we can talk about something and say, She's such a nice person. He, he is really, really great guy. What if they said, you know, she's such a nice person. You know, she's a Christian. She says she's like that because of Jesus. Wouldn't that be better? Right? And so our goal is is to move through life in such a way that we leave this unmistakable trail that doesn't point to us, points to Jesus. Right? That's what being a witness is. If we go back to John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, the one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. And it's hard for us sometimes to put flesh on the Word as we reach out to people. I was reading a story about a seminary class, right? You know, seminary class, all these kids are studying to be pastors and preachers. And this particular class was on Islam and the difference between Christianity and Islam and and how as Christians we can approach Islam and all, all this kind of stuff. And one of the assignments in this class was you had to bring a Muslim family home and host them for dinner. And this assignment was widely disliked by everybody in the class. They didn't want to do this, right? They were becoming pastors so that they could preach against Islam, so they could convert people from Islam to Christianity. They didn't want to hang out with them. The professor says, you got to do it. So they started doing it. And the story started coming back. And almost without exception, they were stories of a wonderful time. And how putting a little bit of flesh on the Word and offering some hospitality and some kindness broke down barriers of hostility. And almost every single person in the class said at some point in the night, the Muslim family asked about Christianity. Now, they didn't all get converted after one dinner at one night. 
But that's what it means to put a little bit of flesh on the Word. How do we do that? Right? And that's the things we got to think about. How are we going to do that in a post-Christian world? It's hard. It's not easy. See, the early Christian church lived in its own kind of version of a post-Christian world, except they were a pre-Christian world. It was an un-Christian world. Nobody knew about Christianity. Nobody cared. They'd been fine without it. They didn't need it. But when they saw Christians getting together and selling their possessions to take care of the widows and the poor and helping each other, that story took off like a wildfire. Maybe that's a bad uh, thing to say after our fire season this year. But, you know, that's, that's how that, it just grew. Just exponentially out of control. Why? Not because they were great preachers. Not because they knew more than we did. They probably knew less than we did about it. Because they put flesh on the Word. They made a difference. They made a difference. It's not the short way. It's not the easy way. It's not the way of most prophets, according to the world. But it's the way that Jesus showed and left for us. In a world that has a people that are like Herod, that are angry, or in a world where everybody else just slept through it all, we are invited to be people that live as though Jesus' life made a difference in a changed way that points to Him. So the question I have for you this morning is what will change with you? See, when you have found Jesus, everything changes. Amen? Amen. So how will you leave that trail that unmistakably points to Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much, Lord, for what you did for us when you came and you changed the world. You changed everything. And some of us were so protective of our own little personal worlds, Lord, that we didn't notice. And even though the whole world was changed, our personal world stayed the same. Lord, help us to be the kind of people that can gradually and with kindness and grace and mercy and love we can break into those little personal worlds and tell people why Jesus matters and why it makes a difference and why is it important. Help us to be the kind of people that move through life and we leave an unmistakable trail that points to you. Be with us now, Lord. Give us the courage to move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.